Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Hey there, and welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. I'm Joy Rios, and today my guest is Acacia Parks, who's the co-founder and chief scientist at Happify Health. Her research focuses on digital methods for managing and treating depression and anxiety, as well as chronic health conditions. And Acacia's work uses the science of happiness to help people boost their well-being. How cool is that? Let's hear what she's got to say. My name is Acacia Parks. I'm the Chief Science Officer at Happify Health. I actually was one of the first people to get involved in that company at all back when it was an idea. So I just had my 10-year anniversary with them from like kind of when we first started just consulting and working furtively in spreadsheets on a concept to today. It's been over 10 years. My background's in psychology. I'm a researcher. I manage the scientific strategy of the company, which can mean what kind of science we do, original science, but it can also mean kind of interpreting existing science and kind of understanding what what the science does and doesn't support that other people have done as well. I am uh, super passionate about the digital piece. Uh, So I you know, I was really excited to get involved when I went to graduate school. It was very much in-person group stuff where like you could have, you know, eight to 12 people together receiving something that you've designed. And the idea of sort of scaling up, like, actually when Happify like had me was when we first hit 1 million consumer users. And I was like, ah, this is how people are actually going to get the things science says works. So getting the things that science says works to the general population is like, if I had to articulate my mission, it's that. It's like I I took a hard look at a scientific world where stuff got validated by millions of dollars of research funding from the government and then put in a file drawer where nobody ever received it. And just seeing that, I mean, that's ridiculous. Like we have things that work and people can't get them. That is what I'm all about. So happy to be here. Yeah, thank you. Well, so tell me more about Happify. What exactly, what what are your products and services and how are people interacting or engaging with them? So Happify started as a consumer-facing business. The co-founders had built up a casual game company called Oberon Media. And so their background is very much in user engagements. And, you know, they kind of came out of this thing they invested all this time and effort into and kind of looked at it and thought, okay, so like people are like getting super addicted to these games for what? And like, could we do that, but in a way that actually improves people's health? And so the initial concept and our, you know, it's still, it's like the fusion 
fusion of science and tech and game design together to make products that can help people be drawn to things that will be healthy for them. It began in mental health. It began with consumers. But over the years, we've um, expanded our audiences to health plans, to large employers. We work with pharma companies. So there are all kinds of different audiences. And we recently released a prescription digital therapeutic for um, major depressive disorder and generalized anxiety disorder. So like, we've come a really long way from wellness and like general mental health and stress reduction to consumers, to, you know, a much broader series of audiences and a, a broader series of targets. And like, I, I know mind-body connections, like something that you're really interested in. And that's something that Habify is interested in as well, in the sense that mental health powers our behavior. And so a lot, all of our different products are sort of tied into the fact that people make better health decisions when their mental health is good. And uh, it, conversely, when people are depressed and more anxious, they're distracted because of their mental state, they might not be making the best health choices. And so those things are in, inextricably intertwined. Uh, to give you a couple concrete examples, though, um, we have a product category called COPA. It's a patient community. And in these patient communities, the idea is that people are learning more about their health condition and the types of things that they can do to improve their health conditions. So they feel more empowered to kind of actually take action about their health. And rather than say, you know, feeling just resigned and like, ah, it's just going to happen. Why should I, why should I bother to care for myself? It's like, no, actually like you are perfectly capable of caring for yourself and here are ways. So it's all about patient education and empowerment you know, kind of helping people understand what their options are so that they can take a more active role. Okay. So that's like one kind of product. On the other side of things, you know, we have uh, things that are specifically mental health, well-being, resilience, focus, digital products on uh, computer and phone, as well as, as I mentioned before, this, uh, this prescription product, which is also all digital. So it kind of walks people through the types of activities that, like I like I mentioned before, that I saw in the literature, and all of this, all of this literature validating that if people do these things, that it's beneficial to their mental health in so many ways. But people need a vehicle to learn what those things are and to be supported in actually changing their behavior to include those things. That's kind of our overall our overall mo okay. is uh, to you know change behavior in ways that will support health and kind of providing that support digitally. Are your products and services available to both consumers or do they and patients? Or do they like does somebody have to be a patient in order to use any of your products or depends on the product, right? Okay. So the COPA patient communities are accessible to anybody, but they are specific to certain disease areas. So like we have a COPA for psoriasis. And if you have psoriasis and you want to be part of a patient community, you could just go download it and use it right now. We have a consumer product that you could just go to Happify.com and you know, or go to Happify and the in the app stores and it's right there and you could use it. We also have products that a physician has to prescribe. We have products that are only available through employer clients or through health plan clients. Okay. So it just depends on the product and, and really it depends on how ambitious the goal of the product is, right? If we're trying to treat a person's major depressive disorder, we're not going to do that in a context where we don't know if they're under a physician's care. We're not sure that they can be kept safe and all those kinds of access. So the, the more high, kind of higher risk or like heavy lift you're trying to do, the more constraints there are Understood. about access. Yeah. And then, yeah, so my other question is, and I guess I'll just focus on the consumer stuff. So 
if you're recommending or suggesting somebody's doing something that, you know, feels good and is also good for their health, is that things like, hey, you should go for a walk or maybe try meditating or whatever, some other type of suggestion? Yeah, it's pretty eclectic. You know, I think um, when we first built that product and actually I'm like, I'm the right person to ask because back then it was just like me and three other people and I don't build products anymore. But at that time, you know, it was my role to go through and pick out everything that went into that consumer, that initial consumer product. So it draws from kind of four broad traditions. One is cognitive behavioral therapy, right? Like there's just, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of studies that validate that if you can reframe reframe how you're thinking, it's beneficial for your mental health. So cognitive behavioral type techniques, there's mindfulness techniques, right? So, and like different people respond differently to each of these. So it's important to offer multiple choices because not everybody's into mindfulness, but for people who are into mindfulness, it's extremely powerful. My philosophy has always been like, I didn't want to just say, here's mindfulness. It's the one way. It isn't the one way. It's one of several ways. And then positive psychology as well, which was kind of the the graduate emphasis of my work, very much the idea that you can teach people to refocus on positive things in their lives that it's easy to ignore. And that's helpful, right? So it's not that you're like changing their life or making it more positive. It's just that when you're so focused on something negative, it's easy to forget all of the positive things that are around you. A hundred percent. I've been, I mean, there's a couple of realizations that I personally have had in the past few months. And like, I caught myself kind of stuck in negative thinking and have have meditation practice every morning, every night. And I'm like, why can't I stop thinking this way? Like, and I was trying to like catch it. I was like, well, good thing I'm aware of it. At least I'm aware of it. That's like step one. (laughs) And then And then I got into like, okay, well, I'm watching myself go through this like what if scenario and what if like the worst thing happens and just kind of like trying to untangle these like catastrophes that have made up in my head. And then I'm trying to flip that around and be like, well, what if the best, what if something great happened? Let me try to like change my mind to try, like if I'm using my imagination, why don't I use my imagination to imagine something positive instead of something negative? Yeah, that's straight out of cognitive therapy. It's like, you know, uh, it's like, why is this the most likely thing? Why are we gravitating towards this and being like, that's probably true, right? Like, (laughs) it's always a negative thing. (laughs) Yeah, and then I'm trying to like reframe things. Like, you know what? What if things are actually going to turn out better than I ever could have imagined? Like, it's just not, I'm not capable of imagining how great it could be. (laughs) And then if my mind is going to like, go and spiral like why don't I let it spiral in that direction it makes me feel a lot better (laughs) yeah it's actually you know one of the things I learned in graduate school is like exactly that technique especially with kids where it's like you know you can really get into the nitty-gritty of like what kind of thought is that and is that a realistic thought or you could just highlight the fact that like this is both of these are extremely unlikely, positive and negative. But somehow we trust the we trust the negative. Like that's a it's a concept everybody can grasp. So it's more about teaching people things like that. Like it's not like oh meditate or go for a walk. I mean there are things like that. We certainly believe that there's a certain physical element to everything. Where like you know you need to pay attention to your sleep, for example. Sleep and emotion are totally intertwined. So we do have some things like that, but it's very prescriptive and it's very specific. It's here's how, like not sleep's important, go sleep. But like, if you are having trouble sleeping, here are some ways to work on that. And they're they're also cognitive behavioral, right? They're very similar to these types of techniques. Like if you're lying in bed thinking about all the horrible things that are going to happen, you're not going to sleep well. 
Who knew? I don't know if this relates or not, but like the name of the company is Happify. And another thing I've been thinking about is like, hey, as humans, we're meant to experience a spectrum of emotions. So it's not like if you're angry, if you're sad or experiencing grief, that those are necessarily bad things. Like we shouldn't have this goal that we're going to be happy all the time because that's kind of unrealistic. Is there... Any, do you have any comment on that? I guess I'm just curious because of... I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to flip your example from two minutes ago back on this question, which is like, you know, people don't need help feeling more negative, right? They have a lot of negative things. That's right. In general, I think, you know, you might have some people who have a good balance and you have some people who are overwhelmed with negative thoughts, but they're not necessarily people who are like so overwhelmed with positive thoughts, unless they have like bipolar disorder, which like is a whole other thing. You know, people aren't like, man, I'm just so happy. It's ridiculous and bad. I I wish I weren't. Right. So I thought about this a lot. Right. And of course there are very valuable negative emotions. They have, you know, a purpose in our lives. And the purpose is not to get rid of those. It's to not let those cancel out the positive things. And like, I'll use an example of grief. It's actually my favorite kind of example of this. So when you grieve somebody, the what makes a difference, like the research says, between somebody who grieves successfully, that is, you know, you go through the grief and you come out and you've processed it and you can move on with your life versus somebody who struggles to move on after grief is actually the amount of positive emotions they experience while grieving. So if you think of the example of grieving, but connecting with people in your family, sharing laughs over things that the person did or stories that, you know, give you a positive feeling, these are all important parts of grief. So it's both, right? Like we need to feel the grief to work through it, but we also need to balance it with some positive emotions. Otherwise we can't even like gain perspective, right? So there's, there's all this research that finds positive emotions help us gain perspective and negative emotions keep us in the weeds. And like, sometimes you need to be in the weeds, but sometimes you need to see some way out of the weeds. So it's more about the balance and that positive emotions serve a different purpose for us mentally than negative emotions. And without positive emotions in the picture, you you can't do all the things your brain is meant to do. You have to have both available to you and many people, more people than, than the opposite for sure, just have a preponderance of negative emotions and not a lot of positive emotions to draw on. So like you don't see the opposite, but you do see this quite often that without that balance, the positive emotions to balance the negative emotions, people don't do well psychologically. I mean, I've been, I've been transforming my relationship with anger recently where I think for a long time, I just sort of denied anger at all. Like I was just like, no, not me. I'm not angry. I'm, my name's Joy, right? Like I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> but then I started like trying to have a better relationship with it of like, and understanding, well, what is my, my anger is trying to protect me in, from something. There's something that it is, you know, maybe a boundary has been crossed mm-hmm. or some way that I feel that I like inside feel like I've been violated and need to grow from. And so instead of just being like, angry at the anger of just really trying to transform that into like, okay, well, what is it trying to tell me? And let me focus on what that is and maybe kind of moving from there to kind of work through it and then essentially move on. Yeah. I learned some really important lessons when I did mindfulness training about kind of emotions and the fact that 
they're essentially like alarms. Like they're trying to tell, they're there to tell us something. And the longer that you ignore them, the louder they get because they're like, oh, she didn't get the message. Like I better push harder. You know, the message has to be heard. And if you don't hear the message, then you're just going to enjoy that positive or that negative emotion for as long. I mean, it can go on forever unless you let it play out. You know, it's like a puppy that you need to like let outside and let it like run down and get tired. And then it's just cuddly. Like it's, anger is literally like that. Yeah. And I've also been practicing how do you actually feel your emotions? I know that sounds like, oh, how do you actually like feel your feelings? But literally like within your body, like if closing your eyes and it's like, if I'm experiencing anger, like, is it in my stomach? Is it something that's going on like in my in my sternum? Is it in my cheeks? Like, am I holding on to jaw tension? And then kind of working through it from that angle too of like, okay, well, how can I maybe breathe, take deeper breaths or do something to just sort of honor whatever's going on in my body to work through it. And it's been a process, but I'm kind of digging it. You know, it's interesting too, because I've had sort of like the process, that process, but from the opposite side during this pandemic, because I learned I'd read about it, but like I physically experienced that sometimes we have the feeling of being stressed and scared and there isn't a cognitive reason and you will make something up to explain it. Right. But that's not the actual thing. So I spent like months during the pandemic, like thinking I was angry or scared about things I was just generally angry and scared. Like there was nothing I, you know, there was no like one instance in front of me, but I learned that like the answer is my body's activated and I need to calm it, right? There's no, your brain's not going to get you there. It's your body. It's true. And it's like, it's so much, it's even easier said than done. Cause you're just like, there's so many times you think about like, well, why am I feeling this way? And I read something recently like the why doesn't even matter. You're back in your head no. around trying to intellectualize sure not. it. <laughs> yeah. No, it's really true. Like I, I think, in a, you know, as a human being, like most of my experience had been more on like the mood side and less on the anxiety side. The pandemic is when I really like learned what anxiety feels like. And you think about it in the abstract and you're like, oh yeah, do some meditation, take a bath. And it's like, no, my body feels like somebody just tried to stab me in my sleep. And then I wake up like, <gasps> you know, that's a different, like no, no thought made that happen. I was asleep. Like, <laughs> you know, bodies are just, you know, scared. So I think, um, yeah, I'm, I'm so passionate about helping people learn these things. Cause like what we've discussed are all research validated ways of dealing with stress, depression symptoms, anxiety symptoms. And the majority of the population has no way to access that. Can't get a therapist, doesn't think they want therapy. can't even get to a doctor. So like the statistics are very alarming about the number of people that need mental health care who don't receive anything. So can you talk, I mean, you're going to be more of an expert on those stats than I am. Can you talk about the actual need around mental health and that type of care in the country? Yeah. So, you know, the most recent, I was looking at a Gallup poll that was, you know, this in the last year that said that 50% of the U.S. population is having some kind of mental illness now. Right. And that's it used to be 20 percent. But in the pandemic, 
rates are either people are disclosing more or rates are going up. So that's the first piece of the puzzle is just it's every other person you know, right? The next piece, which is a bit, it's an outdated statistic, but I suspect it's worse now than it was then, is that two-thirds of people with a mental illness don't get treatment. Two-thirds. At all. Nothing. They just try to strong arm it on their own. Well, there are all kinds of reasons, right? One could be that they try and get it, but they like can't access it because, I mean, many therapists only have appointments during business hours. So you'd have to actually take off work and it's weekly. So like there's that. There's also like, oh, I don't do therapy, right? That's another another piece. There's, you know, I tried to get a therapist, but I couldn't get in for six months. And, you know, I didn't want to commit to that because it's like, that's forever from now. So the not enough therapists, there's just a lot of, and there's, you know, cost and accessibility issues as well. Like not just be, not being able to take time off work, but insurance doesn't cover therapy or if it does, but you're still paying, you know, a 20 to $40 copay every week, that's a significant expense. So there are all kinds of reasons, you know, you could go to your GP and take medication, but medications have side effects. So like everything has a downside and there are access barriers on all fronts. Uh, does Happify actually involve therapy in any form or fashion? There are kind of two ways, three ways, actually. One, so we're, for the most part, a fully automated digital solution, but we do include an AI that has been trained by a number of therapists. So if you can imagine them reviewing transcripts and say, look, a therapist wouldn't say that. Like if I, would, if I were talking to this person live, here's what I would say, you know, kind of uh, getting getting an AI that can actually use therapeutic insight is pretty cool, right? It's not a substitute, but it's as a frontline thing, a person can access 24 hours a day. It's pretty freaking amazing. So that's one piece. Another piece is that I think many companies in this space are, you know, experimenting with the idea of coaching, like having basically somebody to compliment. Like, so the, the bulk of what you're learning and doing is here, but then the coach sort of helps make sure you stay engaged and kind of helps make sure you understand what you're doing. And it's not therapy, right? Because the content that a therapist would give you is coming from still the digital product. So that's another model I think that is, is pretty prevalent. And then when you get into, you know, the things like, ensemble, right? This is our prescription digital therapeutic. This is something that you know will get submitted to FDA and at some point could become an approved treatment, even though there's no therapist involved. It might get prescribed by their healthcare provider for them, but ultimately it's got no person involved whatsoever. It's just digital content with this, you know, AI coach, but it's not, there's no person. And that's important to think about like in the larger healthcare landscape, because some people like a person with schizophrenia, like put them in front of a psychiatrist. That is the only correct answer, right? There's no therapy, right? There's no coaching for them. I mean, maybe they can also benefit from that. But like, if you can understand where a person is and what the highest what the highest level of care they need is the highest level of care can focus on helping those patients and the people who can benefit from something that's lighter touch, at least at first, it's important to have something there for those yeah. folks so that we can kind of streamline. There's no way there's ever going to be enough healthcare providers and therapists for all the people who need them if that's the only option. Well, considering it's half of the population. <laughs> like, holy crap, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> I just read that yesterday, but that's, I expected it had gone up, but that's pretty nuts. Yeah, that's pretty, and it will, 
I mean, considering everything that's going on in the world, and I guess I'm not surprised. Like, Uh how could it it be surprising if somebody was like, "Yeah, this is cool." Like that comic with the guy with the everything's on fire. Like, this is fine. This is fine. This is fine. (laughs) There's another one I have that's nice. That's like a pile of sand with just like an arm sticking out of it. (laughs) It's just like I'm. I'm just here. (laughs) Everything's good. Don't mind me. I'm good. I've got it taken care of. I'm coming. right behind you yeah well can I, we take a minute to learn a little bit more about you as an individual I have been super curious for all get all these new guests around like the 10 year old version of you know what you wanted to do and did she expect it to be like what you're doing right now you know it's funny because like the 10 year old version of me you know watched there was like a cartoon that was on i watched a lot of cartoons when i was a kid and there was a cartoon where like these like cool kids drove around in this limousine but the limousine had a pool in the back do you know the thing i'm talking about yes. there was, like, a hot tub in the uh-huh. back and i was like when i grow up i'm gonna know i'm successful when i have a limo with a pool in the back it's because, so like, practical it's so <laughs> how is it not sloshing out yeah <laughs> don't worry about it so you know i th- when i was when i was young I, I think of that you know i was thinking about like owning a limo is like the way that you know that you've made it i think i've evolved in my thinking a little bit since then but only some I don't know I'm still I'm still trying to figure out the limo thing I mean I still want a hot tub <laughs> I mean I do have a hot tub which I feel is sort of a throwback to that okay like, you know you it seemed it. important <laughs> <laughs> but I think you know for as long as I've thought as a you know adultish person about my place in the world I've been really focused on impact and like how I've wanted to have an impact has changed. But like, I mean, I can remember even when I was in high school, I was like, I'll have impact by being a therapist. Like people need help. Like, I feel like I could really do that. So that was my first plan. But then I was like, you know, I discovered physics and astronomy and I was like, oh my gosh, space. Like nobody knows this stuff. Like I could have an impact by discovering new stuff. And then I discovered physics is really hard. (laughs) I really liked it, but it was like, you know, that and also, you know, I thought about med school. I was like, I'll be a psychiatrist, right? But like med school, I took um, chemistry and like, I loved physics and I loved chemistry, but like, I was a, I was a B student. You know what I mean? Like I worked my hardest and like, I was not a superstar in either of those areas. And I, because my focus has always been impact, I was kind of like, well, I could plod through a goal that I'm dedicated to that I might not like have maximal impact at because I'm not a superstar. But like, I was trying to think about like, what can I do that will still feel that way that let me excel, right? I wanted to be somebody who really excelled at something to to maximize impact. So I found psychology and statistics. And that's where I really didn't veer after that point. Like I knew that what I was going to do was going to be mental health research in psychology and that I was going to use data to answer questions 100%. And from there, it's like, you know, I went to grad school and it's like, oh, I was a professor to have impact. And then I came to work at Habify. But in the end, I really had this one plan which was taking stuff that works that nobody can get to and making it so people can get to it. That's what I'm here to do. That's what I basically from my freshman year in college onward, that's what I was here to do. So, you know, it changes. Like at first I was grunt doing 
doing these studies, you know, on the ground. And I was the only person in the team. And now I've got a team of 20 and we're doing, you know, six different streams of research. And we published eight things this year. And like, you know, we're ramping up to do more next year. So this is the specific way I'm doing it now. But like in five years, I may be doing it in a different way. It's a North Star though. I love it. I think that's great. I feel super fortunate that my high school offered... They did regular physics, but then they also did conceptual physics where we didn't have to do all the math. It was just like, let's learn all the concepts of physics and then not have to like prove it. I did great in astronomy. (laughs) The class I took was not as mathematical. I didn't mind the math even, you know, it's the other areas of physics. Like I always had issues where I didn't have, like where it's so abstract, like there's these things, these tiny particles, and I have to pretend that they're there and like understand how they're moving. Like I, or even the concept when you think they're like, nothing is ever touching. Nothing ever touches. And I can't know, even. I'm like, I'm like, like stop, stop. But also like, you know, Joy, when I, when I close my eyes, like I can't imagine what things look like. Like I have no imagination whatsoever. Like mentally, I don't have that. I can't mentally rotate things. Like it was just a problem. <laughs> so <laughs> I moved to things that I could like display in front of me and manipulate. And I think I'm, I'm a lot better with stuff I can kind of get my head around a bit more concretely. Well, and if you're able to take big, you know, hairy and like complex ideas and help other people understand it, that they don't necessarily need to know all of the information, but like, here's the concept or here's what, here's, here's what you need to know. Like you don't need to know everything to a degree. Yeah. You know, actually speaking of, you do not need to know everything. It's interesting because one of the the big realizations I had to make as I entered industry, because in, in academia, you, you do everything. Right. You're you're a one stop shop. And like it's a huge luxury if you get a consultant to help you with like one thing for a few hours. Like you're supposed to know how to do you're supposed to be a jack of all trades. Right. But, you know, in industry, I learned like I could try and explain this in a way that will be useful for consumers. Or we could bring in Tiffany's son, who's like this world class, you know, worked for Oprah magazine, like knows exactly how to communicate these things. And I can like let go of the wheel a little bit and trust that there are other people who are like what I am to research strategy. She is to content and communication. One thing that's been really incredible about this journey is that in academia, you know, I was looking around at all of these, you know, cases where people are like, let's make a digital product. But it's like what an academic person thinks consumers want. And then it's like, I mean, my first digital intervention was like text on a web page, super dense. Like, why do I have to be the Ocean's Eleven for that too? I don't. I can let Tiffany be the Ocean's Eleven of that But I I thought it was cool. It's like you get to be more of like, you're going to be really awesome at your one thing and you're going to team up with other people who are really awesome at their one thing to make a super awesome thing. I love that. I mean, academia never figured that out, I feel like. No, I've met a few academics too that are just like, I really want to write a book. But then I'm like, oh no, because if you're explaining on paper the way that you're explaining to me right now, (laughs) good luck. I hope you have a great editor. Yeah. Like editing is so important. Okay, my next question for you is what advice would you give to a high schooler or somebody who is looking for their future career? Like, what do you think that you've learned along your journey that would help somebody who's trying to figure out theirs? That's a good question. So, one piece I would say is that it's really important to understand that I think 20 years ago, people coming out of high school knew what their career was going to be, 
because there was just a menu and you chose what you wanted off the menu and then you did that thing. And I don't think that's how it works anymore. You know, you can have an idea of what you want to have an impact on, right? And like, I think I known even from high school that I wanted to have an impact on people's happiness or their their mental health. Like I knew that because I was my first career thing was therapist, right? So to know what you stand for is more important than to have some idea in mind of like, I'm going to be a UX designer. Like you never know how you're going to get where you want to get. And if you can just focus on pruning branches, right? You don't need to know which branch you're going to go down. But if you can focus on knowing which branches you don't want to go down, you'll get where you need to go. Right. And you and it will be something that's satisfying and you know that's a, a good thing for you. But you know, I think about that with college majors a lot. Because it's like, you know, it's very hard to pick a major. But actually, like most students I advised when I was a professor, they could narrow it down to three to five majors. And then you could kind of be like, all right, well, this is like some examples of things people do with this, maybe. Like, which of those kind of sounds good in your gut? And like that's all you need. Definitely not sound bad. <laughs> it does. It sounds like it could be good. And if so, you know, any career path, I'm not even convinced that everybody needs to go to college anymore, by the way. Like, I mean, I, I really think that we've kind of, when I came, when I was getting ready to go to college, like you just, you went to college. Like it was, you tried to do that if you could, because it was really important. So I use the college example, but I don't, that's not to say I think everybody needs to go. In fact, my philosophy with graduate school is that you should not go unless you can tell me exactly why you need to. <laughs> I saw many students kind of come to college and it's so expensive. I'm like, what? You don't even know why it you're is. here. It's a, it's a big commitment. And if you're doing yep. it just because, like, it's that's probably not a good enough reason. <laughs> I mean, there are some things where, you know, if you do it, you'll have opportunities to consider and you can figure out later. You know, there's certain kinds of things. If you learn about business. Like there are a lot of people who know about business and like have nothing to do with it because they don't really know about business. But like if you make the commitment to like really learn about something and specialize and meet the right people, like some startup company is going to happen with other business people that'll like, like, you know what I mean? There, there are certain types of programs of study, I think that put you more you know, if you go to a prestigious business school, you're going to meet other people in business and they're going to do stuff and like they're going to involve you potentially. And if you make, you know, a good impression and so on, like that's very different from like majoring, majoring in accounting. Like mm -hmm. you go major in accounting, like you've got a specific skill. There are going to be jobs for you, but nobody's going to come to you and be like, I really need an accountant to make this tech right. company necessarily. Like there's, there's less of that. So, you know, depending if you know kind of the room you want to be in, and the type of people that you want to meet who are doing the types of things you also want to do, it's less important specifically what you're doing. You know, it's, it's, I really recommend being purpose guided. My sister kind of talks about swimming in the right pool, in a, you know, to a similar degree where she's just like, I spent a ton of time in, con in schools and construction management, but she's like, I want to be in high end residential. So you got to like total do it's great experience, but that's not the pool that you want. So you got to yeah. switch things up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's true. But like, you know, if you can get yourself broad based skills, yeah. There are all kinds of things you can do with those skills. So people like it, you know, that's, a, I spent a lot of time talking to students who like came and had psychology majors with like what they should do next. I'm like, well, you've learned how to write about complex topics. 
clearly. You've learned how to take a problem and think about how to solve it systematically by collecting information. So like all of those things can be leveraged in a lot of different situations. Yep. So thinking that way, instead of like psychology, now I need a job in psychology. It's right. Yeah. You have a skill, continue gaining skills and think about how you can apply them. Yep. There's a lot of jobs yep. out there. Well, Acacia, I think we're running out of time, but I really, I've enjoyed this. This has been really great. Thank you. You're super easy to talk to. So if people want to follow you or find you online or work with you or your organization, what would be the best way for them to do so? So to learn more about Habify, we're www.habifyhealth.com and our prescription product ensemble, there's more information there at getensemble.com. And then for me personally, I'm just Acacia Parks on Twitter at Acacia Parks. Or um, if you go on LinkedIn, I'm I'm most active there. All right, great. I'm going to find you in both places and include that in the show notes. (laughs) Yeah, it's really great to talk with you. Good luck with everything. And I hope we stay in touch. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about us or this guest by going to our website or visiting us on any of the socials with the handle hit like a girl pod. Thanks again. See you soon.